Nimona has a bit of a problem where she she likes to kill people, and her response to everything is to is to kill people. Um, so this does become a bit of a problem. Uh... Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Port Moody Public Library's Keep It Fictional podcast. My name is Liz, I'm your host for today, and I'm here with my fellow book aficionados. We've got Fiona, we've got Virginia, we have Sadie, and we also have Corrine joining us today. Welcome, everybody. Do we all have our book picks for today's topic? This was impossible because you're essentially choose like choose one book out of a format of books. Mm-hmm. It was not an easy choice, uh, looks like, across the board here. Um, but I think that probably speaks to um, how great and diverse graphic novels are. So yes, it is a format that has illustrations, but it's not just for kids. It's not just comic books. Graphic novels have stories for all ages, um, all moods, all genres fit within the graphic novels. All right, so first up, I am going to call on somebody who is indeed a graphic novel fan, very much so, and that is our Fiona. I have gone with a kind of classic today. If you look at top 10 or top 100 uh, graphic novels, this almost always shows up on the lists. Uh, I am talking, of course, about Blankets by Craig Thompson. And if I had my edition here, I could show you that it is in fact signed by Craig Thompson. <laughs> he came to VanCap uh, a couple years ago and I got to meet him and I totally uh, just freaked out and I couldn't say anything. <laughs> but it was really nice. He's a very warm, lovely person. So um, for those of you new to graphic novels, I do, I think it's, um, it's a good spot to start. For me, the reason I chose it is because I love graphic novels. I've read so many. And so I thought, I'll just go back to like a favorite, one that really kind of made me love the form. So this one is pretty thick. It's autobiographical. It has beautiful art. Um, So it is kind of like quintessential in sort of when graphic novels were becoming popular. A lot of them were autobiographical. This book is about uh, Craig's childhood. And it starts out with him growing up with his brother and sort of just their lives um, in a family that is very Christian. And the book uh, deals with child sexual abuse, which comes from a babysitter of theirs. So it is very uh, serious um, and difficult to read. Uh, But the perspective is, is Craig's and it's him uh, sort of, I think, working through this as an adult. 
the story goes on to his time at a Christian camp where he uh, meets and connects with a group of misfit teens. Connection is something that's been pretty difficult for him throughout his life. So it's sort of a big deal to him and he really hits it off with this girl, Reina. So they become inseparable. And even when they leave camp, they are writing each other letters. They're calling each other. And eventually Craig decides to go out and uh, visit Reina in her home. It's a beautiful story of first love. First love, that's that's the sad kind of love, you know, where uh, you get that, that glimmer and feeling of what it's like to be um, with someone and so open with someone and have them be so important to you, um, but then to, to diverge uh, and, and realize that your paths aren't going the same way. It, it is one that I've reread. Uh, I don't do a lot of rereading, but I have reread this one quite a bit. And I, I think I'd like to do another read because it, it felt really meaningful to me when I was a teen and a young adult. Uh, and it's always interesting to look back at things about teens and see if they still resonate for you later. So um, definitely recommended for young folks, uh, but for older folks as well, especially those that are looking to sort of uh, get in with some of the, like, the classics. I think this is, uh, you know, published 2003, um, but it, it was uh, it was big at the time before graphic novels had exploded to the extent that they have now. I'm curious, um, given the, the subject matter of at least the beginning of it, do you think that there is an age that you would recommend this book for? Um, I think of it definitely as a teen book, also. Because the other content, too, is more, like, it is about that that first love, and mm-hmm. um, I seem to pick a lot of books with this theme, but just, like, that, that like, comp- complicated feeling of growing up, mm-hmm. um, and that, like, in-between time of childhood and adulthood, um, and, of course, the author is looking back on it, but, yeah, it's really that stage of life. I would even say 16 up just for interest, not so much mm-hmm. for content. And now we've got Sadie with something a little bit different, I believe. Yes, so I I am the odd one out here. I am not a graphic novel reader. Um, I think I had the opposite problem of everybody when selecting a graphic novel for today. They all had too many to pick from. I had too few to pick from. Um, so I do not have a huge repertoire of graphic novels at my disposal. Uh, to choose from, but I did decide to utilize my wonderful, knowledgeable, graphic novel-loving colleagues um, and ask for some recommendations. And I really enjoyed one of um, a bunch of them, but one of the ones that uh, that was recommended to me. So I am going to talk about Nimona by Noel Stevenson today, and um, it is definitely a a different type of story uh, that Fiona was talking about. It involves a villain and a hero. Sir Ambrosius Goldenloin is our hero and Ballister Blackheart is our villain. And um, these two have known each other since they were younger and they were heroes in training together until something happened that, that caused Ballister Blackheart to turn his back on being a hero. And there was an incident that happened between the two of them. Uh, So our story starts with uh, Ballister at his house, at his lair, and um, Nimona. This young woman here, Nimona, comes in 
and basically says, I am your new sidekick. I am a huge fan of your work and I am going to be your new sidekick. I am perfect for the job. You need me to be your sidekick. Most importantly, because I am a shapeshifter. So who wouldn't want a shapeshifter for a sidekick? Uh, so Ballister Blackheart, he's a little bit unsure, uh, but he does, when he finds out that she's a shapeshifter, he does take her on as a sidekick. Um, but Nimona has a bit of a problem where she she likes to kill people, and her response to everything is to is to kill people. Um, so this does become a bit of a problem. Uh, Blackheart does not always think that that is the way that things should go, uh, but Nimona decides um, in many situations that in order to to get out of them and uh, and to become the villains that they that they truly should be, uh, she does have to kill some people. Um, so it is a story of these two. Um, people kind of learning about each other. Uh, as the story goes on, you learn more about how Nimona became a shapeshifter. Um, she tells the story of how she saved a witch who was in a who was uh, locked in a hole, and in order to save this witch, the witch made her be able to turn into a dragon so that she could fly down and save this witch. And as a dragon, she she went and flew down and she saved this woman, and she was going to go save her village from um, these people who were attacking it. But when she got there, the village had already been destroyed. The village had been destroyed and her parents had been killed. Um, and then she couldn't figure out how to change back. But over the years, she kind of has honed her shape-shifting uh, skills. And, um, and now it is quite a, quite a powerful shape-shifter. And so she uh, works with Blackheart to go against this, what is seen as a very good heroic um, institution and they learn that they are not, in fact, doing all of the good, wholesome things that they say they are doing. Sir Golden Loin works for this organization. And so it's often pits Blackheart and Sir Golden Loin um, against each other, uh, with Nimona there to help out. And Blackheart have to convince her not to kill everyone. But it's a very fun graphic novel. It's a very fun story. Um, it kind of, ha you have that, like I said, the villain versus hero back and forth between them. Um, there's a bit more to the characters than you initially think, which I really, really liked. Uh, there's more to Nimona's story as well that you kind of learn as as the story goes on, which is really great as well. Um, it has not necessarily sad parts to it, but um, it does kind of have a, have a variation in uh, the emotions that you're, that you're feeling as you go through it. Um, so there's really funny parts. Um, as well as some some not as funny parts. And so I think that uh, the author does a really good job of balancing those two things. So yeah, I mean, if you are a reluctant graphic novel reader, this might be uh, a fun one to start with um, just because it was a very easy way to get into, into the story. Um, the pictures were great. And um, especially with the, the shape-shifting, you could kind of see the progression of the shape-shifting through the illustrations, and uh, which was wonderful as well. So I would recommend a fun read, Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. Sounds sounds like it was indeed right up your alley, Sadie, our fantasy fan. A good starter graphic novel for you. That's awesome. I'm glad to see there's something for everybody. So I'm glad you found your book. Well, um, I guess I'll go next. Um, I've got something a little bit heavier. Trying to balance out the heavy with the light, um, and that's our way of illustrating to you um, that there is something for everybody indeed, and, and something for everybody's mood, I guess we could say. So the one I have for you today is a, an illustrated memoir. 
and it is called The Best We Can Do, and it's by somebody named T. Bowie, who's a cartoonist as well as illustrator. And this is the story of her family. She is of Vietnamese heritage, and upon the birth of her first child, she, she does a lot of reflection about her family and their journey from Vietnam to the United States. So they left um, Vietnam in the 1970s during a time of great conflict, essentially North and South Vietnam were warring with each other. Um, and they were living in South Vietnam at the time and it, it became a really precarious situation, uh, so much so that uh, they decided to steal away in the night and make their escape to the US. With all these emotions, with, with the pending birth of her first child, she really does a deep dive into her family's, not only her family's uh, struggle uh, and departure and eventual settlement in the United States, um, but she looks at how the trauma of the past has informed her and her family's present day. So what they feel, what they carry in their hearts, um, especially in terms of displacement and identity. So they... They were just, they felt like they had to flee from the country of their birth. And yet at the same time, um, they struggled to fit in, uh, in a country that was entirely new to them. Um, the trauma that they felt, it, it exists throughout their generations. And, and as she's about to give birth, she, she kind of wonders, you know, what, what the carry through is going to be for her child who is going to be born and raised in the United States. But along the way, she, she does realize that, um, because of uh, what her parents did, um, that also informs her as a parent. They've made a huge sacrifice for her and her siblings um, and and show their love um, by doing that for them and also uh, in other small ways. Um, and sometimes culturally, um, speaking as a person of Asian background, um, sometimes um, we might not be so overt, at least in my family, we maybe not. Uh, aren't always so overt in saying um, how much we feel affection for each other, but rather show it through our uh, gestures, for example, um, bringing somebody food and feeding them. And that's, that's how we show love. So um, through her illustrations, through her story, Tibuli really, really does um, show just how much, how much love and care and affection is, is intermingled in um, with all of the, the trauma and the sacrifice um, that they have gone through and how that's uh, shaped her to become the person um, and the parent that she is today. It's a great oh, read. It's going to be heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who, who like reading biographies and, and hearing stories and um, I feel like graphic novels are a really good vehicle to show maybe um, different times, different places to kind of see that with your own eyes. But let's take a break from all of that heaviness right now. Because um, those of you who tune into our Keep It Fictional broadcast may already know, we do like to pose an existential reader question to the panel to mull over, to stress about, to debate. So today's question is, do you ever put off or linger over a book? Um, because you don't want it to end. Virginia, have you ever put off a book because you just can't bear for it to, to finish? 
probably not. I'm definitely counting pages. And I'm like, no, no, there's only like this little bit left. Like I definitely do that. But I, I don't think I have put up a book because it, it was just didn't want it to end. Um, so yeah, no. No, not quite. All right, Sadie. Once I have started the book, no. But I will delay starting a book that I really, really am excited to read because I don't want it to, to then be done. Like I have purchased books and then not read them for months because I just wasn't prepared to read it and finish it and have it be over. Um, especially if it's the last book of a series that happens to me a lot. Um, but once I start the books, I'm usually pretty quick to, especially if they are as good as I have been wanting them to be, I usually go through them pretty fast, but, but yeah, so I will delay starting a book, but not delay finishing a book. Delayed gratification there for CD. <laughs> and Fiona, how about you? I think just no. I, I, I don't think I ever have. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Hard no. <laughs> I read pretty slow anyway, so. And how about you, Corey? Um, no. Because, again, like, usually if I'm reading a book, I'm reading it in one day or one sitting. So it's like, got to get to the end. But I will admit, I do take, like, pauses. Like, if I'm reading a book and I'm just, like, overwhelmed with emotions, I'll kind of go, <sighs> just, like, have an emotion and then go back to it. I think that's the pausing that I that I usually do rather than just, like, stop it. Because otherwise, I feel like the, you, you lose that kind of, like, emotional journey that you're on if you kind of stop. And I I think that's why like I prefer to read everything in like a sitting or a day with very few interruptions because I want to keep that the same emotions throughout the entire thing and not kind of like struggle to refine where I was in a particular book. Interesting. Yeah, that totally makes totally makes sense. Feel all the feels, right? Feel all the feels. How about you, Liz? Yeah, I think um I think I have. Um, before there's one book in particular uh, recently um, called The Boy, the Fox, the, no, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse um, by Charlie McKeezy. Um, and it's it's a graphic novel. So, hey, graphic novel. Um, and I, I, I did pause midway through reading it and just kind of put it down and set it aside because I just felt like the illustrations were so um, beautiful and sparse, but there was just a lot. A lot to take in um and also the words were very sparse but it seemed to have a weight to them it, the book's been compared to the giving tree the tower of who the alchemist so kind of you know we all know how green feels about the giving tree yeah speaking of feeling all the feels sorry liz <laughs> yeah feeling all the feels so um just needed to take some time just to shut the book and kind of yeah let let the feelings sink in yeah. I can only think of the Shell Silverstein picture in Wimpy Kid every time we talk about Shell Silverstein. That's the only picture I could think of. So, oh. It's a great part of the book. I'll have to look that one up. That awful, that awful photo. Awful photo. Uh, oh, right, right. 
Well, on that note, um, let's move on to our next graphic novel pick for today. Um, and uh, let's let's continue bringing it back to something a bit more lighthearted, which I believe Virginia has. So, Virginia, you are up. All right. Um, so, sort of like similar to Fiona, she actually gave me the strategy of picking one graphic novel, choose something that has a special meaning. So, I end up picking the series Yotsubato by Hiyohiko Azuma. Um, and the reason why I picked this is because it is the series that got my husband into reading manga. It also got a couple of my previous job co-workers reading manga. So it's special that way. So um, he's also, of course, the author of uh, another manga series called Azu Manga Dayo, which is equally excellent that everybody should read. But anyway, so Yotsuba Talk is, is a slice um, slice of life uh, manga. Um, it's very episodic, so you don't have to read it from like, you know, like in a series or in order, that kind of thing. And um, it is basically just about this adorable little girl named Yotsuba. She's five years old and she has just moved to the city with her dad. And the whole series so far is all about through her eyes, experiencing what city life is like. Everything is new to Yotsuba, from the doorbell, that she has no idea what that is, to a swing in the playground, um, to air conditioning. Like, all these things are fascinating to her because she's never seen them before. And so the whole book really is about, you know, like rediscovering. I think for, for adults who are reading it, you know, this is kind of all ages, but for adults who are reading it, it's kind of rediscovering the the wonder, the curiosity, the innocence of childhood that we all once have, you know, when we're looking through things that we now take for granted, but just rediscovering how amazing they are through her eyes. Um, and I am also a sucker for like father-daughter relationship books. And so this one is just like, oh, so sweet. Like this, the relationship between her um, and her father. Um, um, I think she's adopted and, and we don't really know the origin of like where she comes from, but we know that she's adopted and and, and he's a single dad and, and he works from home and just kind of the, the relationship that, that they have together, um, you know, going through the different things in their lives. And then there's the neighbors. Like the neighbors are like equally hilarious because... Yotsuba is, is a five-year-old, like, you know, as like every child is, like, they're brutally honest, like, they say things that is super embarrassing to everybody, um, but, you know, they just, they didn't know it, right? Like, they, they're not going to, there's no filter, so it's really funny watching her interact with her, her neighbors, and then there's Jumbo, which is the dad's friend, it's called Jumbo because he's giant, and then the best one is Yanda. Yanda is Yotsuba's nemesis, okay? Yanda is like a young adult, but like he he's super like immature, I guess, relatively speaking. So she, he and he and Yotsuba has this thing going on, you know, like they definitely didn't start off the right foot. And so, you know, like Yotsuba just despise this guy. And so every time he comes to visit, you know, like she's trying to like push him out of the house because he just, she just doesn't like him. And just the way like, you know, like he, he, he makes fun of her and, and do these weird things to her. It's like, it's, it's like one of the funniest thing. Um, so I really, really, I think this is just like a fun, like a fun, cute, adorable um, um, book. And just the way I think it really fits sort of the manga style because like it's very, um, exaggerated like and her emotions whenever you see her like with like weird feelings and she's like like this is like this is when she um 
realized that like she was going home with her neighbor and her neighbors oh my dad your dad told me to come and find you and and she's just like was going oh great you know and then she's just walking walking and suddenly she realized wait a second I'm not supposed to go home with strangers so she like completely freak out you know about it because she's just like just remember that um so yeah so if you just want something like really cute really fun really light and that you can pick up at any volume um give this a try so this is your tuba talk by uh Kiyohiko Atsuma I love how excited you are when you talk about that Virginia like it just it's it's contagious how excited that that book makes you and it's yeah yeah it's such a good series I want to read it And the other one is completely different, like, you know, like, because the other one is more like a book alive and it's like a four panel comic, um, but it's like, it's really quite different and it's just, yeah, but they're both very, very good. Like, if you just want something very pure, like, super pure, your two part is your, is the one, so. We could all use some more feel good reads, I feel, during this time, so. Everybody please awesome. hold on your two now. Okay, Corrine, time for your pick of the day. Well, to shift gears rather harshly, um, I chose something that, again, is marketed towards kind of older children, I'd say kind of middle grade, grade five and up. But I think, honestly, is a book that can be read and should be read by everyone. So this is based on the true story of Omar Mohammed. It is his um, memoir that has been um, transformed into a graphic novel by Victoria Jameson, who is the uh, Newbery Honor winner of Roller Girl and All's Fair in middle school. And it starts with his story of when he was four years old. It's 1992 and he is living in Somalia. He is outside playing with his father um, outside their home. His mother is watching. Um, He has, I believe, two or three sisters and he has a brother, uh, Haman, who has an intellectual disability and is nonverbal. So he remembers um, being outside. He's four years old. He's playing with his father when some strange men come up to their house and they shoot his father in front of him. At this point, they take his mother and his sisters and he and his brother start walking. Um, They just walk. And... For, I believe it was three months, they are walking through the desert. Um, They're walking with other refugees, fleeing the civil war in Somalia, trying to find somewhere that they are safe, trying to find somewhere where the civil war can't touch them anymore. So um, Omar and his brother ended up in the refugee camp of Dadaab, which uh, currently today um, has 2,000... 211,000 plus refugees um, is in Kenya and it is the third, only the third largest um, refugee camp in the world. So this story kind of picks up when Omar is about 12, 13 years old. He is uh, living in the camp, which by many of the residents there is called an open prison. So they are not allowed to leave. They can't go into Kenya, into the city to find work, to find employment, to find extra money as refugees. They essentially just have to stay in the camp the whole day. And because 
Omar and his brother were separated from his mother. They are looked after by uh, a very kindly older woman who is by herself, uh, Fatama, who takes care of them and and kind of looks after them and makes sure that they're being being taken care of. And we kind of reach the story at a moment where Omar has to make an incredibly difficult choice. He wants an education. He wants to go to the school at the refugee camp. But if he goes to school, there is no one to look after his younger brother. And because Haman has an intellectual disability, there are many in the camp that don't understand him, that uh, don't show him the same empathy and care that his brother does, because his brother knows him and loves him and knows how to calm him when he is upset, knows what things he loves, knows what activities he likes to do. And because there is no one else in his family to help him, Omar have, kind of bears the sole responsibility of taking care of his brother. So he he is kind of trapped in this decision of to do something for himself and, and try to get a chance to better himself and maybe improve their life circumstances, but leave his brother behind in the care of others. So this is a story that kind of covers all the things that happen in a refugee camp from the point of view of a child who's alone. So there's boredom, there's fun, there's friendship, there is fear, there's challenges, there's triumphs. Um, it, it's, it's life, but, but different and, and harder. And it kind of goes over what it is life like for these uh, Somali children in this refugee camp as they are growing up and what choices they have. Um, so Omar himself spent 15 years in the refugee camp before he and his brother were resettled in the United States. And through a, a lot of extreme challenges, he, he kind of came to, to want to tell his own story. And as he said to himself, he wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, to be able to tell the story of a refugee from a refugee's point of view. And so um, Victoria Jamison, who was a graphic novelist, um, they were kind of introduced by uh, someone that they were working together in a foundation uh, for resettlement. And they were kind of introduced about, well, he wants to tell his life story and you're an author, you write things and kind of put together and they decided to collaborate on the book, which is When Stars Are Scattered. So it is Omar, um, Omar Mohammed's words, Victoria Jameson's pictures, and Iman Getty is the colorist. So all three collaborated on this extremely powerful story. It is, again, marketed towards children, but I firmly believe that everyone should read it and, and understand what we're referring to when we talk about a refugee experience. Right now, it's estimated that there are one million Somali refugees um, from their home. And as Omar says in kind of an afterwards, that's just a number of those who made it out. We have no idea how many didn't. Um, so I believe that this is a really, really important story. It's an important story to build empathy, to build understanding. As Omar says in the book, you know, we hear a lot of stories about refugees from politicians trying to make points or trying to tell a story, but it's important to hear, hear from the people themselves. So um, that is um, when stars are scattered, and I recommend that everyone picks it up. Corey, did you say that um, the medium of the graphic novel really, um, like, really hammered home the weight of the of how dire the situation is? 
I think that the format makes it more accessible. I mean, this is really, it's written to tell the story in a way that a child can grapple with. So as an adult, when you see certain things, you understand the implications of what are happening there. But if there, if you are a child, you, you might not to. What I think that the format does for this particular book is make it more appealing and accessible for, for children and teens, because they might not be willing to pick up a book about this experience. But if it's a graphic novel, I think that that will pull them in. And I think that it was kind of deliberately chosen to, to make this story louder than it could have been. It will reach more people. It will get into more hands in this format. And I think with that, Omar's message can only be spread further. Especially with um, the, the collaboration with Victoria Jameson, like just thinking about how big Roller Girl was and that so many people are going to hear about this because of that. Yeah. Um, and then Omar has a foundation. So when he, he kind of grew up, he ended up uh, wanting to give back to refugees. So he has a foundation called Refugee Strong, which you can read about at the end of the book, where, again, he goes back to the camp, which is which is still there and tries to bring simple things like pencils and a notebook and paper to, to kids that were just like him. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so great that we've gotten to see graphic novels that share their own voices and, you know, historical um, snapshots and also, you know, transporting us to different worlds, the fantastical, to the joyous and the slice of life, um, just reminding us that, you know, life runs the whole gamut. So not just in real life, but also on the page. Well, thanks everybody for joining me for another great Keep It Fictional book chat. Hope you'll all join us again next week, same time, same place, where we will have another great topic as well as existential questions that we can all call over together. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.